Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Nick Marder, who is the Associate Director of Admissions at Manhattan College. Nick, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Looking forward to chatting with you today. Well, we're looking forward to chatting with you and hearing about all the great things that Manhattan College has to offer. So let's get right to it, Nick. Why don't you tell us about yourself as it relates to being an admissions counselor and how did you end up in this position? Sure. Um, I've been told by several colleagues throughout a few different institutions that I've worked for, uh, no one really grows up uh, expecting to be a college admissions counselor. <laughs> it kind of happens somewhere along the way. Um, and that's certainly my case. Um, I had a really, really vibrant college experience. Uh, I actually went to St. Joseph's College, now St. Joseph's University, actually, uh, out on Suffolk County, Long Island. Um, and it just, you know, kind of fell together. I was very, very involved as a student. Uh, and I went for education, loved working with students. Uh, but in the 11th hour of my education, it kind of struck me. I didn't see myself leading a classroom for the next 30, 40, whatever years. Um, and I knew I liked working with students, uh, but I also loved my college experience. And it kind of dawned on me that it was possible to have a career in college. Uh, so my alma mater gave me my first uh, chance at you know, proving myself in that capacity. I worked as an undergraduate admissions counselor uh, there for about two and a half years and just looking for some room to grow uh, within that field that I sort of fell in love with. Uh, Manhattan College wound up giving me the opportunity to grow back in the beginning of 2018. Um, and I've been at Manhattan College ever since in a couple of different roles. Uh, so, um, you know, it's a field that I, I think some people don't expect themselves to be in, uh, such as myself. Uh, but I've got no regrets. I really love the kind of balancing act between having uh, goals and objectives and um, a college needing to, you know, uh, really advertise itself and fill classrooms, uh, but at the same time have that real counseling and ethical uh, side of things, making sure you're guiding students from uh, A to Z in what can be a very confusing process. And I'm a first-generation student myself. Uh, Manhattan College is really well known. Uh, over one-third of our students are coming from first-generation backgrounds. 
uh, which is different and unique and special for a four-year private Catholic institution. Uh, so, you know, it's something that I uh, really take value in is making sure that I'm there to support families through the entire college search. Well, Nick, thank you so much for that great introduction. Truly appreciate it and really looking forward to hearing about all the great things that Manhattan College has to offer. So let's get right to it. What is it about Manhattan College? And think in terms of not only inside of the classroom, on campus, off campus, what is it that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately want to attend? Sure. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to find a place to start. Uh, and I think the reasons <laughs> sort of depend on where you're coming from, right? Um, so, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a primary uh, recruitment market uh, that I know very well in, in Suffolk County and Nassau County out on Long Island. Um, and, and what I tell them and the reasons that they might want to apply will differ from students that uh, might live somewhere within the five boroughs. Um, but to start, I, I always like to try to demystify where we are and where we're not uh, being Manhattan College. Uh, so, you know, for anyone that might not know, uh, Manhattan College is in New York City, unsurprisingly. Uh, that said, many people might not know exactly where we are. Um, so uh, Manhattan College is actually in the Riverdale neighborhood of the Bronx, all the way in the northwest corner of New York City on 242nd Street and Broadway. Uh, it happens to be the very same Broadway that everyone knows and loves, but it's 200 blocks north of the theater district. Um, the reason I start there in so many cases is because uh, you get what I really do think is a best of both worlds when it comes to a college location. Uh, being as far up north as we are, we're fortunate enough to have a full, vibrant, traditional, walkable, green college campus, uh, yet truly be in New York City. Uh, you're about a five minute walk downhill uh, to the last stop of the number one train or the first stop. Uh, but that number <laughs> one train takes you directly down south to what everyone knows to be New York City. Um, so it's a local train, so it can take you a few different stops. Uh, but you just, you know, go wander down uh, the street and you can get connected to everything people know, you know, whether it be uh, just, you know, five stops away from the borough of Manhattan. You can ride right along the whole west side of New York City. So you pass things like the Upper West Side. Uh, you go right through, you know, Central Park, Rockefeller Center, um, Grand Central Station, Penn Station, you know, right through the heart of, you know, the theater district, uh, financial district, all the way down to the Staten Island Ferry um, on one, you know, train line. Uh, so while you have that green walkable campus with housing uh, and a parking garage, so we're uniquely able to guarantee uh, both housing and parking for all four years, uh, you still have that opportunity to be immersed in New York City. And I think that's what gives Manhattan that attraction to students from not just the New York metro area, um, but you have attraction from 45 states and currently 48 countries uh, wow. that students are here at Manhattan. So uh, you definitely get a really diverse group of students at the college. Um, beyond that, I mean, our programs hopefully are a big reason why people want to join us. Um, you know, we do have five unique schools of study, not to be confused with five campuses. We have our one 23-acre campus, uh, but we have five basically categories of majors, minors, and programs. Um, ranging from our very well-known uh, School of Engineering um, to our O'Malley School of Business, which is double ACSB accredited, uh, as uh, School of Engineering is ABET accredited. Uh, we have a vibrant School of Liberal Arts where our founding really lies. Uh, we have you know, a great School of Education and Health uh, with some you know, health care careers that students get connected to, uh, as well as education. 
Um, and not to give a whole history lesson, uh, but Manhattan College is a LaSallean Catholic institution, uh, the old of, oldest of its kind in the United States. Um, and St. John Baptist de La Salle, you know, where the founding and the name comes from, uh, is actually the patron saint of teachers. Uh, so, I mean, though we have such a great reputation in the business areas and STEM fields, uh, we do have a real foundation in the liberal arts and education. Um, and then last, we also have our School of Science, certainly not least. Uh, you know, we actually just finished a brand new 30,000 square foot engineering and science center on the south foot of campus. Uh, when I say south foot of campus, the whole campus is walkable in about 12 minutes at max. Uh, but we do have a 30,000 square foot facility with 14 new lab spaces in both engineering and the sciences. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of reasons that I think people can be excited about Manhattan College. You know, we're investing in the students, investing in their outcomes. We're top 3% in the nation for average starting salaries, mid-career salaries. Wow. Um, you know, some, some really great employment uh, statistics, research, internship opportunities available to students as early as their freshman year. Study abroad opportunities coming back. So, you know, you name it, it's going on on campus, and it's so great. Uh, to see the campus really sort of back after a couple of difficult years of, uh, you know, the world we've been living in. Well, thank you so much for that comprehensive introduction. Truly appreciate it. And I could tell you that I know a lot of students that graduated and that are currently at Manhattan College and they have nothing but accolades. So thank you for all the great work that you do. How many applications do you actually review a year and do you represent a specific region? Sure. Uh, so... I guess my answer is sort of in two parts. Um, we, as a college, anticipate anywhere from about uh, 9,000 to 10,000 applications per year. Wow. Uh, it's pretty substantial for a relatively small institution like us. We, you know, we, we, we'd be considered a small mid-sized school with about 3,300 undergraduates. Uh, so to have about 10,000 applications per admission cycle is a, is, is a tall task for a pretty small office. Um, in my role, uh, I, you know, I oversee the reading for you know, several counties in New York, like Nassau and Suffolk County. Um, I also read applications for upstate, so geographically everything north of Albany. Um, and then you know, I'll read for uh, various other states that we receive uh, fewer you know, applications from year to year. Uh, but in my role uh, you know, as one of the senior counselors on staff, I also do second reads for some of our newer counselors here. Um, so I might kind of lead into a question uh, later on, uh, but, um, you know, basically our, our uh, counselors are never just reading an application once. Uh, so overall, I read probably, at least in part, uh, about 2,500 to 3,000 applications per cycle. Wow. That's a lot of applications. So you started talking about the whole application process, but... Nick, could you walk us through the process of how you evaluate so many applications? In other words, are there teams of people representing different regions? If so, how many applications is each group responsible for? And give us a little bit more insight in terms of just the overall process. This is something that students and parents and myself, we always appreciate hearing. So again, any insight that you could offer, we'd greatly appreciate it. No, absolutely. And I think every college might have a bit of a different answer to this. Um, but I guess in short, your application will be read in full by more than one person at Manhattan College. Uh, there's one person, uh, let's just say if it starts with myself, 
that will do a very thorough application read. Um, I'll make some notes on the application, uh, whether it be, you know, wh- whether you have a hundred overall GPA and you're a slam dunk admit to Manhattan College um, <laughs> and you're a really great involved uh, student, um, we'll still read your application from cover to cover. Um, and in, in my case, uh, you know, at that point, I can send it off to our director who sort of uh, okays uh, my initial uh, decision based on my notes and then a, a bit of a look over. Um, granted, our director is not looking at 10,000 applications themselves, <laughs> uh, so it is a committee. Uh, so, you know, for any of our more junior counselors, they do a first read, sort of simplify uh, your application. They do a very thorough read of your application, again, from cover to cover. Um, I'm going to cross-check it at that point as a more senior team member, uh, which is why I actually have about, you know, 3,000 applications in my cycle, because I'll (laughs) read maybe cover to cover as a first read, um, 1,500 to 2,000 applications, uh, you know, at some point, um, maybe a little bit less, uh, but then at that point, I'll provide a second read for, you know, sometimes several thousand more applications um, where, you know, I'll take the notes from some of our newer team members, uh, cross check things, make sure it's been a thorough, uh, precise read. Um, And then all, you know, there's a bit of a checks and balances. We have our, you know, director also come in and, you know, as an as an equal member. So uh, it's a small team of about eight people, uh, all all things considered. But really from November uh, through today, even, you know, in, in, in April, uh, we're still, you know, reading applications as a school that operates on a rolling admissions timeline. Uh, granted, November through February is when really it's, it's at its peak. Um, but we do still see, uh, you know, applications coming in here and there with some really great students. Um, and I think if you're listening to this, um, I don't necessarily recommend uh, that you push your application out as far as March, April. Um, but, you know, sometimes you need to expect the unexpected. And we've been in a very... A competitive application market and maybe if someone had their eyes set um, on certain schools earlier in the process might have gotten some mixed results as far as their uh, admissibility uh, and they want more options a school like us that operates on a rolling admissions timeline is happy to provide those additional options for students to possibly you know find a home um, which is why we are still getting applications into March and April at times much less so though Nick, could you just elaborate a little bit more on the rolling admissions application? It's not something that every school offers, and there might be parents and students that are not quite familiar with it. So if you could just give us a little bit more insight in terms of that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, sure. So I I think that um, there's such a glossary term of so many different (laughs) admissions related, uh, you know, vocabulary words, I should say, uh, that, you know, kind of involve the whole college process. So um, knowing the difference between some of those is going to be important eventually, uh, but one of those is, you know, a college like ours operating on a rolling admissions timeline. Essentially, how I explain that to parents is we take applications from as early as when the common application opens on the 1st of August um, all the way through, uh, you know, May and sometimes later if we have the room in the class to, to you know, uh, work with students in that capacity. Uh, but essentially, it's first come, first serve. Uh, while we are busy out on the road recruiting and visiting high schools and meeting with school counselors, uh, we are starting to get applications in through September, October, and early November when we're busy outside of the office. Um, so really, as soon as November hits and things slow down as far as travel and recruitment goes, uh, is really when we start hitting the computer uh, and start to change our roles into reading applications. and. 
Um, for a school like ours on a rolling admissions timeline, we don't hold all of our application decisions to a certain date. There's plenty of schools that will release all of their applications on a certain date or time, um, and some of those are very well communicated. Uh, for us, really, starting early December, we have our uh, most you know recent uh, applications read and decided. We'll communicate with them right away on what their decision is. So if you apply sometime between August and mid-November, there's a very good chance you're going to have a decision from us before we break for the holidays. Um, so really, that's our philosophy with a rolling admissions timeline. If you're going to apply, apply nice and early so you get a decision nice and early. Uh, so you have as much time as you can to make what uh, might be your, your biggest decision uh, in your life so far as far as your college destination goes. So that's really how we envision a rolling admissions uh, office like ours. Absolutely. And again, I really appreciate that insight and uh, explanation of uh, some of the different vocabulary terms, as you put it. Nick, what is the average profile of the current freshman class in terms of all the things that you look at, GPA and perhaps SAT or ACT scores if they choose to submit them? Sure. So uh, the numbers have changed a tiny bit, um, you know, with with less students uh, submitting SAT and ACT scores. Um, our given range uh, year to year has not changed on what we typically see our students uh, accepted with. So we like to say about an 1100 to a 1240 for your SAT. Uh, the, despite that being a pretty large range is where our average 50 percent lie. Um, for students in the math and sciences and STEM programs, engineering, typically, we like to see students on the higher side of that scale uh, with a little bit of a stronger uh, basis in the, you know, the math areas uh, and a concentration there. Uh, for the ACT, typically a 22 composite score to a 26 composite score. Uh, again, you know, we, we do see students typically in those STEM areas be on the higher side of that scale. Uh, and then for GPA, uh, there's a lot of different schools that have a lot of different uh, grading scales. Uh, we make sure that in our world, we convert everybody to a 1 through 100 point scale. Um, so if you're on that scale, typically an 87 to a 93 GPA. Uh, and then if you're on a 4.0 scale, a 3.2 to a 3.8. That said, we will look at everyone's weighted GPA um, and, and recalculate it when necessary if a school, you know, we feel a school weights it too heavily. Um, but every single student that we look at uh, will be converted to a 1 through 100 scale. That said, again, if you are a school that is not on a 1 through 100 scale, don't be concerned. You know, it's not going to hurt you in any way. We will recalculate it. So you, no matter what scale your school is on, uh, you won't uh, lose any credit or be in any, you know, harm if you end up, uh, you know, applying to Manhattan and we just convert it. So you mentioned test optional and I was curious, as are a lot of students and parents, what's the percentage of students that applied without submitting their test scores? You know, because there's there's a there's a myth that test optional really doesn't mean test optional. So I think it'll be helpful if you could just share some insight in terms of the percentage of students that applied without submitting their test scores? No, so you know, you're completely right. Uh, I, I think that it, it's been a point of contention and a point of anxiety for a lot of students and families uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of schools went test optional or test blind uh, without really having much warning um, due to the wake of the pandemic. Um, and Manhattan College being one of those. We did have uh, test scores as requirements as, uh, you know, early as, you know, early 2020 even. Um, and then we sort of had to adjust from there. 
Um, that said, when we made that adjustment and into today, uh, when we are test optional, we mean that very, very literally. If you do not submit a test score, it is one less metric that we look at. Uh, all students, and this is where you have, you have to listen very carefully, all students are at no competitive disadvantage should you choose not to submit your test scores. You will be looked at the exact same way for every one of our programs uh, for admission, financial aid, scholarship, the exact same way as someone who submits their scores. There's just one less metric that we're going to be looking at. Uh, when I say that, I mean we'll be looking a little bit more carefully at your transcript. Uh, we'll be looking a little bit more at your progression, your trends, your academic rigor, all those different things that we have access to on your transcript. We'll be looking at a little bit more carefully because we won't have another metric to compare it with. Um, so I can promise all of our applicants, current and future, uh, that you'll be looked at the exact same way uh, whether you submit a score or don't and that's for all of our programs and that carries through to scholarship as well well we appreciate that obviously nick and i know that manhattan offers students the option of applying early decision which of course is binding nick if a student applies ed is there a better chance that they will actually be admitted and what advice would you give a student considering applying ed Sure. Um, so for early decision, again, this is more vocabulary terms in the admissions process. <laughs> uh, early decision is something Manhattan offers, of course. We have a November 15th deadline for that. I do try to be pretty transparent. Uh, I think that students that should apply early decision to Manhattan College should be in love with Manhattan College. You know, you should be 100% committed to coming here if you consider applying early decision. The reason I say that, for anyone who might not know yet, um, early decision, you know, is binding. You apply to maximum one school early decision. Basically, if you are admitted to that school, in this case Manhattan College, you're expected to attend if you're accepted shortly thereafter and, you know, commit via submitting your enrollment deposit nice and early. Um, so for anyone who wants to do a little bit more of a thorough college search where you're not entirely sure uh, where you'd want to go, um, and I think my biggest piece of advice is if finances play a primary role in your college selection process, I'd recommend not applying early decision uh, because you'll be looked at the exact same way for scholarship and for financial aid. But why would you, you know, uh, limit your school choices if, you know, for whatever reason, maybe we're not within budget? Um, and that said, we do try to be very competitive, uh, we, you know, as far as awarding, you know, financial aid and making Manhattan College an affordable option for families. Um, but for students that are applying early decision, it's really meant for students that want to tie a bow on their admissions process nice and early in their senior year. They know exactly where they're going. And of course, scholarship and financial aid is helpful, but it might not be the driving factor in their enrollment decision. Um, if that is you, I just recommend applying nice and early regular decision because you'll have your uh, decision from us more than likely sometime in December, January, if you apply early anyway. Um, so that's kind of my advice there. Um, and then if you don't mind, just one more uh, note uh, for early action. That's a very popular question that we are asked. Um, we do not offer early action because essentially with rolling admissions the way we are, we do that anyway. Um, so if you apply early, you're going to get your decision early. Um, so, you know, we don't hold on to our decisions till a certain date. Um, so we don't offer early action. It doesn't mean we don't essentially do that. It's just not part of our process. We don't have a special deadline for that. Well, thank you so much for explaining all of that and more ED, early action, rolling admissions. You know, like you said, there's definitely a long list of vocabulary terms. So we appreciate your insight, of course. Nick, how important are students' courses in progress and their grades in senior year? 
Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I always try to, any of my students that I'm working with in their senior years, I try to tell them, please avoid your senioritis to the very best of your ability. <laughs> um, I understand you're close to the finish line, uh, but it's important. Um, so first off, course selection in your senior year is extremely important. You know, we measure academic rigor, um, including what you've selected to take in your senior year. Uh, and it's especially important for a lot of those science areas and engineering areas where, you know, you might not you might not be able to enroll for those science and engineering areas, uh, especially uh, making sure you have that academic rigor and those courses that will make you successful in college in your freshman year or first year. Uh, is really important, you know. So in this case, for example, um, in engineering, we really want at least pre-calculus in, in your senior year uh, to make sure that you're going to be able to take on calculus come your freshman year in an engineering program or in a science program. Uh, physics is also very important uh, for most of our seniors uh, to be taking because, you know, if you're looking into engineering, that's going to stare at you in your, in your freshman year. You'll have to face that as well. Um, so for students with minimally pre-calc, if not calculus, and then physics in engineering, really, really important to have in your senior year. So that's something we're going to look at 100 times out of 100 times. Uh, so you want to make sure that, you know, you're working with your school counselors early on uh, and, and often throughout your high school journey, uh, especially depending on your major, you know, right? I'm a history major. I was a history major in, in college. Um, I did not take calculus. I did not take physics. Uh, yet, at the same time, I was also not looking to build bridges or work in engineering. Uh, so my, my goals were a little bit different. I ended up going the AP English route or the AP Spanish route. Um, so every student's different. Every expectation is going to be different. Um, but we will certainly peek into your senior year courses in progress. At times, if we think you're a little bit um, of a question mark as far as admissibility is concerned, it's very common that we're going to send out an email asking for your mid-year progress uh, to give us a little bit of a better understanding as to how you're progressing. Uh, this year, we use that tool uh, more than ever with how uh, inconsistent and how start and go so many students' high school experiences have been. Uh, again, in wake of you know the pandemic and remote and in and out and hybrid, we've peaked into senior year progress a lot uh, to give students ideally really the benefit of the doubt to see how they're doing in a little bit more of a normal classroom setting uh, this year. Um, so, you know, we will take a peek at those. It's important to keep your grades up. Uh, and then again, rigor is something we really measure strongly. Well, we appreciate that. And another piece of the application is the essay. So, Nick, what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you and any advice that you could offer in terms of what to write about or not would be appreciated? Sure. I'll start with the second part of your question. Um, you know, I think a really uh, we, I get that question, if not daily, certainly weekly uh, at certain points <laughs> of the year about what I should write my essay on, what I should stay away from. I'm a big uh, proponent of as long as your personality and your character is conveyed, I'm not going to tell you you can't write about anything. So nothing's off limits. Um, that said, I mean, there's some themes that are, I'll tell you, you know, I'll read 20 or 30 of every single year. Um, and I love hearing them, especially if you can make it unique. But just know that, you know, you're, you're going to be with a large group if you're writing about your game-winning Grand Slam or your three-pointer at the end of uh, <laughs> at the buzzer beater or your touchdown reception to go into playoffs. Um, they're really great moments, and I love hearing your enthusiasm about those. Um, but you won't be super unique. You know, those are areas that we hear a lot about. Um, I'd also recommend, unless you can make it really uh, 
attention grabbing, staying away from the pandemic. It's something that we've uh, lived together and continue to navigate together. And if you think there's something that you want your uh, counselor or your reader to know about uh, on the application, I know the Common App especially, there's a second page where you can talk about how the last couple of years has affected you and your family. And if you want the reader to know something about you and your circumstances, there's an avenue to do that. I'd recommend staying away from that being your subject area for your essay for the most part. Um, that said, I can tell when a student is excited to write about something. It's conveyed very easily in your writing. Uh, so if you treat it uh, like maybe an English assignment that you're not quite thrilled about, uh, chances are it'll come through in your writing. Uh, it's pretty rare to get fooled that way. So um, I'd recommend writing about something you have a passion about, you care about, something where we can see who you are behind the transcript and behind the application. Um, those are the things we really care about. Um, so a couple things that have stuck with me actually are not um, super tragic or super heart shattering, uh, you know, type uh, essays. I've had one of my favorites of all time was just a student that wrote about their family traditions on Thanksgiving um, and how, you know, how much it means to her for her family to come together, how it's her favorite holiday, mentions a bunch of reasons why it's their favorite holiday. Um, and to date, years ago now, um, this is one of my favorite essays ever because I learned something about the student. I learned about how important their family is to them. And it was just a little bit more lighthearted. Um, and it was something that stuck with me for years now. Another one is a talent that I'll probably never see again. The student decided to write about um, how they constructed models out of popsicle sticks and then <laughs> added it in a link at the very end to some of their different uh, models that they've made. Um, <laughs> unique. Great. It's going to stick with me, um, and it's something that I'm, you know, I'll really value, and I had a great time with. Um, that said, you know, and there's plenty of students that will take a different approach, and uh, if, if they think that conveying a, something where they overcame something terrible in their life, I'll be happy to read that. I've read some really personal essays, um, and they are ones that stick with me. Uh, but I think sometimes students think they need to uh, present the reader with a shock factor type essay, and that's certainly not the case. Well, those are great examples. I really appreciate it. And I also like the fact that you talked about COVID and how, in fact, in the Common App, there is an opportunity to write separately about COVID if, in fact, it affected you much differently than it affected, you know, frankly, all of us. So I appreciate you pointing that out as well. Nick, what about demonstrated interests? In other words, how often should a student visit the campus and do you keep track of such things? And what other advice would you give to a student and their parents if they want the college to know that they are serious about attending? Yes. Um, so there's someone like me at every single school, and I think uh, families need to know that. Um, you know, so there's someone that does work with our prospective students. And I know it's so funny. I'm in this role now, and I know when I was a high school student, I don't. I didn't speak to any admissions counselors about anything. <laughs> I, I just did a lot of work myself. I leaned on the internet. I, I did whatever I could to make my decisions. But um, we're here to help along the entire way. Uh, so you know, someone like me will uh, will see every single interaction that we've had with you. So I recommend connecting early and often, whether it's with the person or with the school, uh, because we're in a very very digital age, as we all know. Um, and anytime that you go on the website and ask for more information. you got a profile created for you. Um, we know a little bit about you now. Um, and then you come for a visit. That'll be tracked and added to your profile. You send an email to your admissions counselor. There's a good chance that that's also going to be tracked and added to your profile. Um, so we do see everything. 
we're not a school um, that will deny someone admission if they meet our criteria they look like they could be a great addition to our community but they haven't really engaged too much with us yet um, that answer does change from school to school but you know you wouldn't have to worry about us denying a student just because they haven't been uh, big fans of Manhattan uh, and, and reaching out to us every other week um, but you know demonstrated interest is important you know if you're a student that might be on the cusp of admission, but I've seen that you engaged with me and met me at a high school visit back in your junior year. Then you met me at a college fair in the spring of your junior year. You came for a visit over the summer. Um, you sent me a couple emails. When you applied, you asked for an interview because you'd like you know to know who you are behind the uh, you know behind your application. So all those things are great personal touches that make me know, oh wow, this student is really serious about Manhattan College. You know, I, I think that if they really put their minds to it, they could be successful. Uh, sometimes that could be the difference between uh, recommending that we accept someone and recommending that we go a different direction. Uh, so demonstrated interest is really important. I think at every school, even if they don't track it as closely as others, uh, just because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to know uh, that, you know, you're serious about your school. So um, take advantage of your support systems you do have at every single college um, and make sure that, you know, you connect as much as you can as well. Well, I really appreciate that answer, and it's one of the reasons why we put this podcast together is to give insight to the fact that someone like yourself and other college admissions representatives, you guys really are so accessible. You're there to help students and their parents through a very difficult process. You know, the college admissions process is not a simple thing, but you are there to support and to make it a little easier. So I appreciate that insight. I appreciate that answer, and hopefully people will take the advice, reach out. You don't have to reach out every day for sure, but certainly if you want to let the admissions rep know about your intentions to not only apply but attend, it's certainly something that you could do very easily like you mentioned. You know, with technology today, it's so simple to send an email, uh, perhaps after a visit, perhaps before even sending the application just to put a name with the application or a person with the application. I think those are great pieces of advice, Nick. So thank you for that. Nick, do you offer any special programs for students who had an IEP in high school? And is it a separate application to take part in any of these programs? Yeah, so um, basically I think it's really important for everyone listening to know that there are resources available, legally, there are resources available to every single family uh, that you know either has a 504 or an IEP or any kind of an individualized learning plan, um, and there are resources available to students. The biggest thing is the, the difference is the self-advocacy that comes into it once you get to college. Um, so for us, if you have an active IEP, 504, a learning plan of any kind, um, and you are looking to have these resources met uh, in college, uh, we have these support systems available. Uh, it's important to know uh, that at Manhattan, students do need to uh, gain admission to the college under their own standards. There aren't any separate sets of requirements for students that are coming in with any kind of IEP or 504. So as long as you gain admission to the college on your own standards, based on the standards of the college, we have lots of resources for students. Um, we have an office uh, called the uh, Specialized Resource Center. This office acts as a liaison between students and faculty and students and other offices on campus. 
uh, to be sure that reasonable accommodations are met. Uh, when I say reasonable accommodations, examples, not limited to what I'm about to say, but examples include extra time on exams, tests being read, note takers, any uh, emotional support animal, uh, you know, things like that. And this is, it's across both uh, academic and, you know, physical or emotional needs. Um, we are prepared to work with students. But really the biggest thing is making sure that upon acceptance, uh, you reach out and self-advocate and go to this office because without that, it won't automatically carry over the way it may if you, uh, you know, are in high school. Um, so really self-advocacy is the biggest thing. We do not have any separate fee for or paid programs at the college. Uh, some schools, you know, may, especially dealing with students that might need some uh, support services or organizational purposes. Um, but we do have a lot of great uh, free uh, opportunities for students here at the college. Well, we appreciate that answer and that insight. Thank you so much. And Nick, if there's anything that you want me to include in the show notes in terms of links to the programs that you mentioned, the Office of Undergraduate Admissions, or anything else, we're happy to do so. Excellent. What about students aspiring to play sports in college? What advice do you have for prospective student athletes in terms of making their intentions to play known? Sure. So actually, one thing I might have not mentioned in the beginning about student life and the reasons to attend Manhattan, Manhattan College does offer Division I athletics. Uh, we play in the MAC conference, so we play other schools. A couple of the schools I'll give a little bit of a shout out to that are in our conference include uh, St. Peter's, Iona, Marist, Quinnipiac, Fairfield, Siena, Ryder, um, to name most of them, I believe. Um, but we are mostly recruitment based, uh, meaning that uh, there aren't going to be open tryouts really for any of our sports. Uh, most of them are recruitment-based where they'll reach out to you and they'll start, uh, you know, recruiting students starting their junior year. That said, we do not know every talented athlete out there. Um, and, you know, we do look to add uh, both, you know, recruited athletes and walk-ons. Uh, walk-ons are not open tryouts, but they're students that we might be talking to in their senior year. Uh, or we might have found out about them a little bit later in the process. Uh, but if you want to get on our radar. Um, we have an athletics website called gojaspers.com. Again, gojaspers.com. And that is a website where you can fill out a prospective student athlete questionnaire. You can do that as early as your sophomore year. You probably won't hear from us until your junior year for NCAA compliance reasons. Um, but it's a way to get on our radar. You can uh, you know, submit some clips, some tape. Uh, we'll get to know about you, how to contact you. Uh, and that's how we can end up discovering more about you via your intention to play uh, intercollegiate athletics. Um, just a side note for those of whom are, who might not be uh, D1 quality or might not be looking to play at the D1 level but want to remain fit and active on campus, over one-third of our entire student enrollment participates in at least one intramural sport. Uh, so it is a very vibrant part of our uh, college life on campus, and they all play on our D1 facilities around when our teams are practicing. Uh, and at the same time, uh, on a little bit of a different note, we do also compete in the MAC conference in esports, and that has blown up in the last couple of years. Uh, where, especially in the wake of the pandemic, we've had a huge interest growth there. Um, so it started, I'd say, early uh, 2020, um, but we've got over 80 or so students uh, that are involved in one of our several different esports that we compete against. Uh, so that's made a lot of a wave as well, where you don't have to be recruited starting your junior year, but you can uh, demonstrate some interest as soon as you get to campus. Well, that's great insight, and thank you again. And uh, yes, esports is definitely something that's taking off and uh, really fun to watch and participate in. So I appreciate that. 
Lastly, Nick, what are the three top pieces of advice you would give a student and their parents who are getting ready for the college process? All right. Um, so, you know, I, I think that it can be super stressful if you try to take in the entire process in one day. You want to take a deep breath. You want to work with people throughout really a full year plus. Um, but it all starts with, you know, kind of figuring out what you don't know already. Uh, so visit uh, schools, visit small schools, visit big schools, you know, go to state schools, go to private schools. You want to see where you see yourself. Um, at the end of the day, what I think so many people won't tell you is that I'm sure you can be successful at 1,500 different schools. Uh, that said, you know, the difference is going to be what makes you feel right. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, getting onto campus, uh, especially now that that's becoming more and more possible for families, uh, getting onto campus and visiting schools does such a great job of sort of demystifying and sort of clearing up whether or not you can see yourself at an institution or, or not. Um, and I think that's a really big thing. So go visit schools. I, it's never too early to visit, you know, at that point, as long as you think you'll remember it by the time that you're applying. Uh, visit early, you know, that way you can kind of get a, a better of idea on those schools that you're going to wind up applying to, um, even if it's the same vibe, you know, yeah, hey, I really like that small-ish private school sort of a setting. There you go. There, that kind of limits your list uh, right there. Or maybe that's not your fit and you can sort of build your list for there. So I say visit schools is a big, uh, you know, piece of advice. Number two, get a calendar. Sounds really silly, but with all those glossary and vocabulary terms that we talked about, Schools have a bunch of different dates and deadlines um, and open house dates and accepted student dates. I'd get a calendar or an email uh, and or an email exclusively to your college search and application process. I think that really kind of cleans things up and makes things nice and organized. Um, and then number three, it's kind of a repeat on what we already talked about. Take advantage of your resources. There's someone like me, um, and my favorite part of the job is working with students. My favorite part of the job is talking to people, talking to families, going through financial aid packages, kind of just going through the entire process to make sure that by the time you make your decision on or around uh, May 1st, it's the right decision and you make one great decision. So um, take advantage of your resources for sure. Nick, those are tremendous pieces of advice. I'm so happy because I know it's going to be helpful to so many students and their parents. It was an honor and a pleasure not only speaking to you, but to hear about all of the great programs that Manhattan College has to offer both inside of their classrooms and beyond. Really want to thank you for your insight and your time today, Nick. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.